DW Deutsche Welle. Pulse. Hello and welcome to yet another jam-packed edition of Pulse. I'm Eunice Wanjiro in Bonn, Germany. In today's program, we take a look at African pop artists going abroad to make their music videos, the hard life of beach hawkers, and we'll get to hear from a Ugandan journalist who fled his country eight years ago. Stay tuned for these stories coming right here on Pulse. <laughs> In today's world, image is everything. This has led to a major transformation in the African music industry, with the artists not only investing heavily in top quality audio but also videos. Although some of them travel as far as the U.S. to shoot their videos, the most preferred destinations of many are South Africa and Dubai, as Bruce Amani found out in this report presented by Jane Nyingi. That is Omari Faraji Nyembo, commonly known as Omi Dimples, one of the most successful musicians in Tanzania. Omi began his musical career at the age of 10. While in school, he participated in various talent contests and frequently entertained guests at parties and weddings. Now at 31, apart from winning the hearts of his growing fan base through his music videos, he has received various music awards. Most of his music videos have been shot in South Africa because he says that is where you find the highest quality equipment. According to him, music is all about branding and in order to achieve one's objectives, you have to go the extra mile. In the past, we used to admire music videos from the US and Europe and we would wonder how they managed to come up with such amazing videos. It was quite challenging for us Tanzanian musicians, but then we realized that we could achieve the same kind of results as the Americans and Europeans if we shot our videos from South Africa. So we slowly started to save what little we earned so that we were able to finance higher quality videos. In Nigeria too, every big artist from P-Square, Whiskey to Davido, has shot a good number of their music videos in South Africa. P-Squared, who are twin brothers, are not just huge in Nigeria. Their music is enjoyed right across the continent. That has made them the highest earning Nigerian artist on YouTube, thanks to the increase in smartphone usage and cheaper internet data. Personally, 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 personally. Personally, I rock your body. I promise you go home, you won't tell daddy. I give it to you like you never had it. Screaming, judging, you like speaking Chinese. The music you can hear is from one of their videos shot in South Africa. It already has over 75 million views on YouTube. What catches your attention are the dance moves that the two are able to pull off. You got me high, and if you wanna try, make a good day tonight. Cause I'm in the mood, as long as you feel 
But success like that is not just about image. As Salama Jabir from Tanzania points out, you need more than a big budget and hard work to go global. I believe in being creative. Not everything that you mention in your music should be in the video. Don't think of flashy cars, half-naked women and expensive jewelry. Just be creative. Think outside the box. The video can be simple, just you seated by the roadside, and it goes viral. Not everyone agrees with Salama, though. Ashley Diva is a talented Burundian musician who puts her personal image at the front of everything she does. I'm a person who is really keen on what I wear, and this has had me leave a mark among my fans. I believe I am a diva, and this should be reflected in what I wear. You will always know who is a diva and who is not. Who is a diva who is not. The trend of shooting abroad has even reached the attention of governments. Now the Nigerian government has announced plans to ban Nigerian artists from shooting abroad, arguing it's affecting the growth of the local entertainment industry and the economy as a whole. Information Minister Lai Mohamed said they will amend the Nigerian Broadcasting Code in a manner that will prohibit the airing of Nigerian content produced outside the country. If a program is designated as a Nigerian content program, then our Mendy laws to ensure that it is produced in Nigeria. Major stakeholders in the music industry have condemned the plan, saying the government lacks moral authority to make those demands since they themselves travel abroad for various services, including medical treatment, as veteran Nigerian rapper Michael Stevens, commonly known as Ragged Man, explains. How many government officials travel abroad every day? Is that helping to fund a foreign uh, country's economy? Yes. When they go abroad, they import bulletproof cars. When they go abroad for health care, when all their children are in school abroad, now do you compare that to the 5% of Nigerian entertainers who go abroad to shoot one or two music videos or movies? And don't forget, when we're shooting our movies and our music, we're taking the Nigerian culture out. What are the government officials taking out? Apart from money. Rapper Regedman says that instead of banning shooting abroad, the government should just make sure that they invest in the technologies required for high-class production values on local soil. We have more things that will hinder production in Nigeria than out there. Out there, they already have stable electricity. They already have your good scenery. They already have people who work straight. They already have experienced people. They already have educated people. But in Nigeria, our schools trouble. Schools aren't working. Education is next to nothing in Nigeria. So we have a lot of people who aren't that intelligent working on things. You understand? So the government, before banning Nigerian entertainers from going abroad to shoot a music video, they need to make the Nigerian industry conducive for everybody. And not just the Nigerian industry. They need to make Nigeria conducive for everybody. It's me! For those that say I don't have a dance track, feel this. Move your body, make you shake that thing where you get. Let the music get on your head. Dance here, baraje, omoge, benjo, whisk, Move your body, make you shake that thing where you get. Let the music get on your head. 
Ragged man there ending that report by Bruce Amani. It's the peak holiday season for the Mediterranean islands and hundreds of thousands of tourists go to these islands to relax on the beach. It's also the peak season for those catering for these tourists, like the hawkers from Africa who sell sunglasses, bracelets or African knickknacks to holidaymakers on the beach. Many of those buying some of these cheap goods wonder about the lives of these hawkers and how hard their lot is. Mark Duger met one of these African salesmen, well, not on the island, but back in his home country, Senegal. His report is presented by Natalie Muller. When Fallow thinks about which word best describes his life, it's this. In deception. Disappointment. He has disappointed his family, Europe has disappointed him, but above all, he's disappointed in himself. Fallow sits in a cafe in the town of Thiers, about two hours' drive from Senegal's capital, Dakar. It's a provincial town, the type of place that ignites dreams of a better place beyond Africa. I was young back then when I made the trip. We had a lot of problems here in Thiers, poverty and unemployment mainly. There was no way to earn any money except by working on construction sites. That's why we set out for Spain. That was 11 years ago. Fallo and three of his friends first went to Dakar. Then, one night on the beach, he boarded a small boat. The journey took nine days. The price for the fare varied between 70 and 150 euros, depending on how well the passengers had negotiated. But the trip to Spain soon turned into a nightmare. <laughs> I saw four people die on that boat. One of them drowned in the sea. The others got so sick they ended up dying on the boat. Then we threw them overboard. When the boat reached the Canary Islands, it was intercepted by a ship from the Spanish Coast Guard. Fallo was given a medical check and sent to a camp on the Spanish mainland. From there, he made his way to Palma de Mallorca. A family friend who lived in Palma paid for Falu's ticket to the island, and he also put him in touch with local street hawkers. They showed us the ropes, took us to the Chinese shops where you buy the goods, watches, art objects, necklaces, hats, and so on. Cheap stuff. Then I went to restaurants, bars, and to the beaches to sell this junk to tourists. They didn't need the stuff, but they bought it anyway, just to help us, because they felt sorry for us. It was a hard life, Fallow says. There was hardly ever enough money to make ends meet, to pay for a room. And then the Spanish economic crisis hit. Business got worse, so bad that Fallow couldn't even afford the simple room he'd shared with two fellow Senegalese. He started sleeping rough, at construction sites or on the beach. He witnessed a very dark side of the holiday island of Mallorca, a side that most tourists never see. Then, suddenly, it all came to an abrupt end. It was in the morning. I was about to buy some bread when some policemen came up to me and told me to come to the station. I was in custody for three days. Then there was a very quick court case. We were taken to the airport and then to the deportation center in Granada. 
Fallu was held at the deportation camp for three months before he was taken back to Dakar. This time, he didn't travel by boat, but in a plane with a police escort. And then he took the bus to Ties, to his family. Fallu says he'll never forget the reproachful way his relatives looked at him. They were so disappointed, he says. I hadn't seen my family for four years. Everyone started to cry. Myself, my mother, my brothers, my aunt. Of course, everyone was disappointed. In Spain, whenever I had managed to earn like 100 or 150 euros, I sent it home. At least I could send a little now and then. Others couldn't even do that because they died there. Fellow has had to start from scratch. He doesn't have any kind of vocational training. That's why, a decade later, he's right back where he started. He works on a construction site as a day labourer, that is, on days when there's enough work. Would he try to go back to Europe? Only if there's a legal way to do it, Fellow says. But he says that's not likely. He has little hope for the future. I'm 35 now, and I can't even afford to buy a bicycle. It's hard. There is so much poverty here. The government has to invest in young people. Only then they will stay here. That report about the shattered dreams of the beach hawker from Senegal by Mark Duga was presented by Natalie Muller. So I'm a hit a bang bang, oh yeah bang bang, open the door to your heart, oh bang bang, I'm a hit a bang bang, do you open but I know I'm gonna leave, oh bang bang, oh yeah bang bang, open the door to your heart, oh bang bang, I'm a hit a bang bang, do you open but I know I'm gonna leave. You're still listening to Pulse and it's now time to meet Moses Okile Ebokorite. Ebokorite is a journalist who fled his home country eight years ago. It was after he published a paper on a land deal scandal questioning Uganda's president Yoweri Museveni's involvement that the Ugandan military raided his office. He was lucky to be out of office at the time of the raid, but Ebokorite saw that Uganda was no longer safe for him. He then managed to leave for Germany, where he has since been living. He is currently taking part in a workshop in the Deutsche Welle Academy for journalists who have fled their countries. I got a chance to meet him and first wanted to find out what it was like being a young journalist in Uganda eight years ago. Basically, when you come out from school and you join the media to work, you have all these ambitions, you have all this um, the ability to, you know, the strength to want to create some change and to uh, be part of this media landscape. But then it was really about a lot of challenges, especially uh, when it comes to investigative journalism, for instance, where I had a lot of interest. If uh, faced a lot of hurdles, especially intimidation and all this kind of censorship and all these kind of things. So it was really tough being a young journalist in this country. And I guess the situation still continues up to today for many and now it's like I said, it's been eight years since you fled the country. What have you been up to? I have been trying to uh, publish here and and in conjunction with the local newspapers, writing stories about Uganda, basically, and uh, highlighting the plight of journalists in Uganda and press freedom and all these kind of things. This is what basically I've been doing all along, and I continue to do up to now. When I get plat, I have platforms where I can publish. 
So I'm quite lucky to do that here, that I do that without censorship. Now, with the rise of social media, what can you tell us about the situation in Uganda at the moment when it comes to social media use? Just like any other um, uh, media platform, yeah. yes, it's booming because Uganda has a very young population that is uh, uh, actually using um, social media, access to phones and so on, internet and so on. And they're really using a lot of social media. But then there's an attempt by government always also to clamp on social media itself because they know this is where a lot of young people actually hang out. And this is where a lot of young people can access something different from what we get from the uh, traditional media. And remember, we also have a very young population in Uganda, actually, so it's quite a threat to government in a way. This is how they look at it. So um, I can say there's a lot of attempts to clamp down on social media because you've had people like Dr. Nyanzi, who is a social media. She was arrested because she she's criticized the president and the first lady, you know, and all these kind of things, and she ended up in prison, you know, and being produced to court. And we about people like Tom Voltaire calling a, a TVO man who he's like a, a ghost in government eyes, you know, who's they say is like a whistleblower, revealing government secrets and so on, and they're looking for him up to now. So what do you think could change the situation in Uganda when it comes to press freedom or social media use? Yeah, for the young people, actually, I know for sure from my experiences that actually using social media is very important especially for the young people. It's one of the best platforms that they have, actually, to allow their voices to discuss issues and maybe try to create change. So uh, embracing social media is the best thing that they can do in comparison to the traditional media where there's quite a lot of censorship and all these kind of things. But I mean, with time, I, my, I only have hope that actually the media landscape in Uganda will change in a way. But right now, we, we don't have that much hope because actually Uganda keeps dropping from the um, press freedom indexes each and every year. That means things are really not getting any better there now. And what advice could you give a young person in Uganda who is aiming to become a journalist and is hoping to be able to speak out? Yeah, my advice to them is that don't, do not be intimidated. We all know that media is very important in nation building. If you want to contribute something to your nation, do not be intimidated to do that. Find every possible means you can actually to create change and to uh, say something wrong. If something is wrong, say it. Show it out. Or say something which is right. They shouldn't be intimidated. They shouldn't have that fear. Because these are our times that we live in, and we should be part of our times. Not They shouldn't be dictated to us. That was Moses Okile Ebokorite, and you heard him. This also goes out to all young journalists out there. That's all we had time for in this week's edition of Pulse. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook by visiting DW Africa and make sure to leave your comments and feedback. Many thanks to our studio team, Eliane Giladucci, and our technician, Gerd Georgi. And thank you for tuning in. Join us again next week for another edition of Pulse. I'm Eunice Wanjiro, wishing you a great week ahead. <laughs>